I recognize that permitting this relationship to develop was a serious error in judgment on my part. As a result, I've decided that I will step down as mayor so that I can take the time to reflect on my mistakes and to do the work of rebuilding the trust of my family. And with that, Toronto was thrown into a mayoral race nobody wanted or asked for. John Tory's resignation sparked a by-election. On June 26, residents will be asked to take time out of what will likely be a beautiful summer day and vote. As we walk towards that day, when you turn on the radio, we want you to hear about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Let's be honest, we're all too busy for this election, but if we're gonna be honest as well, we need to get this right. It matters. Who we elect on that day, it matters. So on the first day candidates could officially register to run for Mayor of Toronto, we brought our mobile studio to Nathan Phillips Square. Candidates sat down with Alex Pearson to have candid conversations about their priorities for our city. You know, Alex is never one to shy away from tough questions or questions of clarity. So for the next 40 minutes or so, if you can, sit back. Take a listen to the women and men who want to be your next mayor. We're going to play these conversations in the order they happened on the morning of April 3rd. Up first, here is former city councillor Rob Davis. Rob Davis, former city councillor, sitting right beside me. He's got his big sign, Welcome to the Show. Welcome. But, you know, it's a Dundas Street West sign. So That's it's okay. Not, it's not a Rob Davis sign. Yeah. Um, but it's actually a sign or a symbol of uh, misguided priorities and wasteful spending. You know, and most people do know this. A year and a half ago, City of Toronto Council, with uh, some of my opponents, mm -hmm. voted in favor of changing the name of Dundas Street uh, for the ghastly sum of $6 million and are looking at an additional 59 other streets um, with a $21 million price tag. And when you think about that, you think about the billion-dollar hole that we're in, it, it's just it's unconscionable that they would vote to do that, that that would be their priority, um, and not the homeless people who actually live on Dundas Street. So I have to tell you, as mayor, uh, I'm going to care more about the homeless person who lives underneath this sign than the name that goes on this sign. And, and I think um, the problems that we're having in the transit uh, system right now are really in part caused by the fact that, that council has made some kind of cruel decisions, closing the warming centers. You know, where did they think homeless people in crisis were going to go? Well, ask any of the employees. They go to libraries and they go to the transit system. So they might have saved 100000 here or 100000 there, but we've lost tens of millions in ridership fares. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's just the type of decision-making that I think has people shaking their head. It had me shaking my head. And I decided I'm going to run. I'm going to make Toronto safer, cleaner, and kinder. And I'm going to stop wasteful spending. Look, I love the props. It's always good. You know, uh, these are the things that, um, you know, kind of get your name seen out there. But you're a fiscal conservative. Yes, you want to be tougher on crime. So how are you going to do this? We've got a billion-dollar shortfall. Right. The province and the feds have made clear they don't feel like coming to the rescue. Now, right. maybe that's, you know, they're waiting for the who or the mayor will be. But how are you filling that hole as a fiscal conservative? Well, the first thing is I'm going to be uh, Doug Ford's best friend and, and worst enemy meaning I'm going to fight for the city of Toronto. I'm going to make sure that we get what we need. Um, but, you know, we have to be responsible. No wonder they don't want to give us money. No wonder the feds, the liberals who like to spend money hand over fist, how could they in good conscience give the city of Toronto bailout money when they're spending $21 million to change street signs? Like the least important thing you can do. And I know there's a lot of sensitivity around street signs, 
Listen, I grew up in Midtown at the corner of Vaughn Road mm -hmm. and Humewood. Vaughn was a slave owner. Humewood is named after William uh, Hume Blake, who was an abolitionist. I literally grew up at the intersection of abolition and slavery. My next-door neighbor had numbers tattooed on his, on his arm because he survived the camps. And my neighbors across the street were from a First Nations community. So we've all suffered trauma. We have trauma in our past and in our heritage. But, but we come to Canada, we come to Toronto to, to excel, to grow, to thrive, and, and not to dwell on some of that past trauma, as difficult as it is. And I think, you know, even though we have this complicated history, we have to do things that are going to build a better life for everybody. And I, and I think, uh, quite frankly, that if, we, if I, as a, a citizen, mm. can find $21 million at the drop of a hat, you know that there's tens of other millions of dollars out there that I'm going to find as mayor. John Tory wrote this uh, past budget, I think, with a lot of assumptions because he's got those relationships at the federal level and the provincial level that the money was going to come in. Well, he's not here and we right. can't run a city on assumptions and hopes. So, you know, if you can't get money from the feds in the province, would you be looking at a, a tax increase? No, I wouldn't. In fact, uh, when I was a city councillor in the old city of York, I, I brought in the motion that brought our very first uh, tax freeze in about 20, 30 years. And then as a city councillor here for a three-year period, I made sure that we pushed for tax freezes for the entire three-year term. There are ways of curbing spending without raising taxes and without doing harm to the most vulnerable. So what would you what would you get rid of first on first blush, given some of the things that you know the city runs, whether it's Sanctuary City, whether it's like, you know, safe injection, what are you getting rid of? So the first thing I'm going to get rid of is I'm going to reverse the decision to change the name of Dundas Street West. And, and as a person of color, and of course, people who are listening to the radio, they can't tell that I'm black. I can tell you this is an insult to black people. In Toronto, this is an insult to black people everywhere because they know it doesn't make one iota of difference in the lives of the black community. Mm. So six million dollars on this, the twenty one million dollars for the other uh, fifty nine streets that they're looking at changing. And I'm going to uh, take a zero based bu budgeting approach. I'm going to look at absolutely everything. But also in the first hundred days, and this is an example, um, the first hundred days, I'm going to have a summit, a transit safety summit, and we're going to look at ways to bring um, confidence back to, for riders on the transit system, that's revenue that's out the door. So if we don't take care of those folks that are living under that Dundas Street sign, we're going to have problems on the transit system. We're going to lose revenue. So there's a way of getting revenue without raising taxes. These things take time, and I'm they worried. Do. I mean, by the time we get a mayor in place, we're talking six, seven months. They, you see the escalation of violence every day. They do take How time. How long? Give us a window. I want specifics, because people hear the promises. Are you talking a year, two years? How long does it take to fix a homeless issue, a drug addiction issue, a um, shelter issue? There's right. so many issues so, that are feeding into so, it. So let me start off. Um, last year, Toronto Community Housing had a 5% vacancy rate in their bachelor apartments, 340 some odd units, vacant. The rest of the city has a 1% vacancy rate. Why would Toronto Community Housing have a 5% vacancy rate when we have 8,000 homeless people? I'm going to cut through the red tape. I'm going to put those homeless people into homes. I'm going to turn the three-bedroom units that are in those buildings. We're going to turn them over to uh, social service agencies, and they're going to turn them into rooming houses in the Toronto Community Housing buildings. We have to move people off the street and we have to give them the, the comfort that they need, the help that they need to get off the streets. 
And if we do that, we're going to have a safer, cleaner, and kinder city. All right. I'm going to run out of time at some point. Sure. Safe injection. I mean, addiction issues are a big, big problem right, uh, right across this country. Right. But, you know, the, the Toronto Health, they want to go further. They want to decriminalize meth and heroin and I'm not fentanyl. A fan. I, I'm not so, a fan of that. Okay. So what are you going to do? Are you going to keep safe injection? Are you getting rid of it? What's your answer to dealing with My this? My answer is to get detox beds. My answer is that safe consumption or harm reduction doesn't really work. I'm going to tell you, um, I was at council last week, and I won't say the individual's name. Uh, they sat next to me. They're recovering. He, they, they apologized to me and made amends for things that they may or may not have done uh, to me in the past. And that person told me, harm reduction doesn't work. Abstinence works. But abstinence can only happen if we have detox beds. So I'm going to propose that we build detox beds, that we work with the province and the feds to fund detox beds so that people who have addictions can get off the drugs. Abstinence is the only thing that really works. All righty. I am out of time. Rob Davis, you are now registered. You're I am. Officially, I think you're the first in I the race. I was the first in line. and Peter. Uh, well, not just that. I, every morning, I'm going to be the first one here at City Hall. I'm going to be here ahead of all of the city councillors because I'm going to roll up my sleeves on day one, get to work to make our city safer, cleaner, kinder. And also, I'm going to ride the transit system every single day because I want I want riders to know that any policies that I introduce are going to affect me the same way they're going to affect them. To learn more about Rob's vision for Toronto, visit robdavis.ca. Next to visit us was Anna Bailau. She's a former city councillor from Davenport. Here's Alex's chat with Anna Bailau. Let me ask you this first one, because transit is really the, the first idea you brought to, to the table for me. And I thought, okay, cell service is 2023, what a novel idea. And then I thought, well, if a guy like John Tory, who had the relationships with Rogers, couldn't get it done, how can you, given it's such a complex, apparently it's a very complex issue, but how are you going to do it and how long would it take? Well, I've put the telcos on notice that there's $30 million in contracts that we have uh through the City of Toronto for cell phone services. And those uh, contracts will be going to companies that provide mobile service on the TTC. I think it's imperative, given the situation that we currently have, um, that we need this as a part of the solution. It's obviously not the only solution, Alex. Uh, we need to make the TTC safer and more reliable, and we do that through bringing back the services, through having more staff available, you know, from cleaners to make sure that our stations are getting more clean, there are more, more eyes, there's a bigger presence to supervisors, to, uh, you know, uh, enforcement as well, to make sure that people feel safe. That the immediate action that needs to be taken. Um, that's how you bring people back to the TTC. Uh, and as you said, I've been saying this is almost half of the deficit that we have today is because the ridership of the TTC hasn't been uh, not even close to the levels that was pre-pandemic. And so we have a big challenge with the city finances. Part of it is the low ridership. But to me, what the biggest challenge is, is really the impact that it, this has in people's lives. Uh-huh. Every day. Every day. A big I, part of it, though, is shelter space. People don't have some... Absolutely. Uh, opiate addiction uh, with safe injection. So Al- how are Alex, you I, solving those parts of I it? I think that we it, it's not an either-or. To solve this, these are systemic issues in our healthcare system and how it, mental health has been dealt with and the impact that the pandemic has had on people. And this is a housing issue, absolutely, that we need to ensure that people have the supportive housing that it needs to to be built, like we built during the pandemic. I've built 44 apartments, Alex, in my ward, 
on city land with provincial uh, operating budget and capital uh, federal budget. So three orders of government, 44 apartments that we built in six months. From the city that, that we approved in June, by January, I was welcoming people into these apartments. It can be done if we have a focus on it, if we bring the governments together, if we deal with these issues that we have now as we've dealt with the pandemic. This is not done. We need to make sure this city comes out of it with the potential that we know it has. A lot of what faces Toronto relies on what the federal and the provincial government do. I mean, mental health illness is their jurisdiction. They're in charge of keeping facilities open and making sure there's enough beds. So, you know, given we only have 2,500 beds for the entire province, and, and, and that alone still wouldn't be enough for the city of Toronto, how are you getting that done? quickly given you know the summer's going to make this a little bit better because people will get out of the shelter systems and maybe go into parks or onto the streets but that's not a solution so how are you getting this done quickly enough so that we get people off waiting lists into into beds where they need it and out of the shelter system it seems to me it would be a lot of moving parts that's going to take time uh, absolutely and that's why we need an approach with an immediate uh, action to, that that makes people people feel safe in the subway and treats these people with dignity starts, you know, doing the outreach, making sure that we bring them inside, that we have space, that we have the supports, uh, because it's also, you know, you need to build that relationship with, with a lot of, of, uh, the individuals to make sure that they're willing to take that treatment. And, and we need to make sure that we have the facilities available. But most important is about governments bringing to the table what they do best. Uh, another idea that I brought forward that is an example of how governments can do what they do best by cooperating. Um, it's the healthcare program, the neighborhood program for healthy seniors. This is actually bringing healthcare to 70,000 seniors on their doors, preventive uh, healthcare with mobile clinics uh, that actually um, assist the healthcare system by screening with preventive measures, uh, not having the seniors having to go to the ER or a family doctor when it's way too late and they need a lot more treatment. This is something that we've done during the pandemic with our ambassadors, using over 600 ambassadors that went in the communities. This is a smart way to do it. And who do we assist? The healthcare system. Healthcare, you know, the big healthcare system is not a city responsibility. But you know what? You know what residents of the city want? They want better services. And uh, they want governments working together. People are struggling. There's a, an affordability crisis in this city. Are you we need to taxes? make smart we need to make smart decisions. You know, there was 7.7% increase. The city has tax increases. Mm -hmm. the, the, the city has a city building fund. I feel that we need to work as governments together. I, people are stretched. People can't pay more. Right. So you're Alex, not going to raise it above the... This. The rate of inflation. No, absolutely not. We need to work together. We need to work together with uh, the, the governments. Uh, you know, and in big corporations, uh, you need to do things smarter, uh, do things, you know, leaner as well. Absolutely. You know, I, I'm a big proponent of uh, affordable housing and housing. That is something that we need to make sure that we're approving housing uh, quicker, that we're bringing it more to the table uh, sooner as well. So there's uh, lots of work that needs to be, be done in that area. One of the bigger ideas you've also got is uh, having the province pick up the costs of uh, the Gardner and the DVP, which is a, a provincial jurisdiction. And a lot of stuff has been dumped on us by the feds and the province. Now we need to get that off our, uh, uh, off our shoulders. You say that would bring back, I guess, about $200 million in capital a year. Um, 
but again, this is a hope. This is a plan. You got to get it done. And I don't Absolutely. think the province wants anything more on their books. So how are you going to get that done? So for a few years now, during, especially during the pandemic, the province has been coming with a check at the end of the year to pay for the deficit of the city. Half of that deficit is caused by the lack of ridership in the TTC. We need to bring that TTC back. We need to make sure that people feel safe. We need to have the services for the Torontonians. Also to create the economic growth that this city has, which the province, by the way, is the one that rips all the benefits of the HST. The city doesn't get any of that money. So this is actually a solution, Alex. What I'm saying is let's work on something that we're dealing with the issue, which is, you know, but how long Less would it take you? You know, you'd have to, you know, the, the, you know, offloading, uh, you know, roadways to the province. That takes time again. How are you going to get this? Like, how are you going to get it on? How long I'm running on it. You know, one thing that the city needs, it's uh, to to have somebody with a mandate, a mayor with a mandate, with the 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 firm attitude uh, to go to the province and say, this is not fair. People don't even know when you're getting off of the QEW and getting into the Gardner. Nobody other than all the residents of Ontario, not the residents of Mississauga, are paying for the QEW. But as soon as you get into the Gardner, only the residents of Toronto are paying for the maintenance and the rebuild of that of that highway. That is not fair. We're having our cities, our services uh, cut. We are the economic engine of this city. Everybody is paying more for everything that we buy today. That's more HSC that is going in the coffers. And these were provincial highways. You know, the premier has $30 billion in his budget for highways. This, this is, it goes right in hand with, with their budget, with their investments. And it's, we just need a fair deal. At the end of the day, it's going to be, um, ben, a benefit. It's going to be a solution for an issue that they've been coming at the end of the year with a check. They've been coming. If credit where credit is due. Even last year, the, the province has already committed. And they say this year, Conversations will continue. Well, let's have pragmatic conversations that bring long-lasting solutions that don't get our TTC on a death spiral and actually address the issues and put us on a good fiscal stand. AnnaBylaw.com is where you can read more about Anna's platform. Up next in our studio at Nathan Phillips Square was former police chief Mark Saunders. So a lot of people will look at you and say, well, you certainly have the experience uh, needed to, to turn maybe the policing down. Like, what would you be your big idea? More police officers, a different way to police the city. What would you be doing to change, you know, where we were to where we are now? Yeah. Well, well let me just say this. And thanks for having me on, Alex. It's 38 years of public service. So it's not the silver bullet that makes that change. It's understanding the most important factor, and that's listening to community. I've done that. I've worked with community from all aspects, every single corner. But realistically, it's more action that is needed, and it's the right action. And time after time, I've seen the same solutions which aren't working, and that's what the frustrating part is. So when we talk about what resources are necessary, we need to have those healthy discussions. Policing is absolutely important and critical. When we look on the subway lines right now and seeing what the situation is and the fact that hardly anybody is using it, 70-something percent are using it, it's because they don't feel safe. So how do we make it safe? There are many methods in which we can make it safe. But first and foremost, yes, we need those uniform people on the subways. We have to change the culture of safety. It doesn't happen overnight, but there are things that can happen right away in order to make that happen. And more importantly, the fact that we've normalized disorder it was never this way when I was chief of police. It's the last couple of years we've seen the significant change. That's why I'm back in. 
because I want to make sure that the right discussions are had, that everybody has a say in what it needs to make the city healthy again before we move forward. So would you be looking at hiring more officers? I mean, we've got a, what, a billion and a half uh, budget for policing. There are many who will say that's too much. But would you be adding to, to police? Would you be fighting to bring back programs like Tavis, those kinds of things? How would you change the policing side of it, uh, given you yourself have said this is not just a policing issue? That's right. So you have to understand cost versus investment. We have to invest in keeping the city safe. When we look at the resources that are out there that aren't really dealing with the issues, when we talk about random crime, and and we see that a lot of those random crimes and disorder issues are really, unfortunately, patients, people that haven't had the right resources when it comes with deals with mental health. We need to stop looking away from that because that's what's happening right now. When you ignore it, it's not a problem. I'm looking at it. It is there. It is a problem. So when I'm on Bloor Street and I'm watching someone urinating or when I'm seeing defecation happening or members of my family are seeing it, I'm not normalizing it. I'm bringing those discussions to City Hall. We have to make that a priority. We have to have that healthy discussion of using all of the tools necessary in order to be effective and to have sustainable solutions. And that's not happening right now. So when a lot of these decisions came in, whether it was for safe injection or whether it was for other issues of mental health illness, I mean, these things don't happen overnight. They've been building. Did you see it on your watch? Was it brought to the city? Did you say not not a good idea? Were you listened to? No, listen, harm reduction is, is critical and important. The question and the challenge is, how is it done? And that's key and that's critical. You look at Young and Dundas right now, there is a problem. Mm -hmm. We see it. Why is that ignored? Why is that discussion not brought to the table? Why are we not having a healthy, meaningful discussion on solutions to resolve that? Because we've normalized it. So you can't just look at it from one lens and say all is well. You have to look at it from a holistic. How has it affected quality of life? How has it affected crime and disorder? How has it affected just the whole pulse of that area? We see it. But nothing is said about it. I've been downtown. I have concerns. Getting here, Mm -hmm. I'm walking around people. Mm -hmm. Why aren't those discussions had? Where's the money going? Where are these pet projects and, and the funding? We need leadership that prioritizes. That's what we're missing right now. City councilors here, they're fantastic. They want to do the right thing. So this is not an us versus them. It's about making sure that the whole process through good, effective leadership prioritizes the things that are absolutely necessary. The discussions that are had in the living rooms and the dining rooms of houses right now, we are responsible for creating the environment for healthy communities. So are you then getting rid of safe injection? What's your answer to that? Because I don't think that's a Band-Aid fix. No, and I didn't but how say, are you fixing that to get? I never said get rid of it. I said we have to address the how. And we cannot turn a blind eye to the way it looks right now, the state that it's in right now, the increase of criminality. When I'm talking to the the business, uh, the BIAs in this area, Mm -hmm. they are living through hard times. Talking to the people that work in convention centers that come from Scarborough and Rexdale and the journey they have to take on the subways, they need an hour just to decompress. And then the last hour to get home, they have to prep themselves for what they may see or may have to deal with. And these are people that have to take the subway. Sure. We have to be able to have those conversations about their journey. So how long is it going to take you to see a turnaround as far as safety? Because, again, months before mayor's picked, you know, getting you know, your feet on the ground. How long before we actually see a turnaround in the state of the city? Well, I will be doing things. Most are going to talk about I will do. One of the first things that would be necessary is working with the chief. Chief Demke is a fantastic chief. He's plugged in and he gets it. We have to put police officers in that system to make things work. $30 billion is what all levels of government have put into this. The subway transit system is the lifeblood of newcomers. It's the lifeblood of people to go to work and to come home. And if they're doing it in fear, 
then we're talking about 862,000 people on a daily basis that we've just ignored. So if we utilize the police and the existing resources right there, we have the ability of building up. So we talk about long-term plan. Yeah, it, it, for me, it's utilizing Toronto Police Service to look after that because they're the tip end of these calls that are happening. It's person with a knife, person with a machete, person with an edge weapon. You can't send in caseworkers to deal with that. They have to make sure that the environment is safe first so that those other interventions can come in and play. But those other interventions are necessary. You can't just push people off the, the subways and say all is well. You need to have agencies that are working after 5 p.m. Yeah. and before 8 a.m. because right. mental health doesn't stop at 5 p.m. And, and sorry to say, that's the way business has been done. It is not cost effective. It is costing us more money when we're putting resources on it 24 hours a day, not having holistic solutions, and then doing it over and over again. And putting more money in to this system is a non, non-deal. So we know the policing side for you. How are you going to pay the bills? We've got a billion-dollar shortfall. The feds and the province have not made any uh, you know, promise to get anything. In fact, they've said, yeah, you guys are on your own. How are you filling that hole? Are you going to raise taxes? Are you going to make cuts? How are you going to fill that? It's by a lot of things, but first and foremost, we have to prioritize. That's key. We have to prioritize on what's most important. And I haven't got a clear picture on seeing that right now. I, I don't see that happening. We have to say this is an issue that is mandatory. We have to address it because so many people are concerned about it. And we know that crime is displaced right across the entire city. But we also so, can't, we can't carry a deficit. Like We're not allowed no, to. So how would you fill that in? No, you know? and, and, and we're not. And so the way we go about it, first and foremost, when we talk about the transit subway, by putting in police right now, you're still using the existing resources, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, when we talk about looking at uh, are we comfortable with people that are laying out in the streets or do we want to talk more about other things that are happening, all of these projects that are going? So when I make it a priority, I'm saying, look, we have to look at these things and really say, is that what we need to be talking about right now or is this what we need to be talking about right now? When you make it a priority, then you spend on that priority. That's key and critical. But when you look at where things are, are spent all over the place, then it's not necessarily a priority. You've got a whole bunch of different things. We're trying to do too many things. Right now, we have to keep things healthy and safe so that we can prosper. So number one, affordable housing and supportive housing are key and critical as well too. But getting to that journey is key and critical. And then of course, just affordability. Where are we spending our money? How are we spending our money? Because every money, every dollar that the taxpayers are, are uh, putting in towards what's going on and not seeing results is money we're taking away from the tables of the homes where people are struggling right now. Just quickly, because I'm running out of time, right? I'm out of time. Would you raise taxes? No, at all costs, you try to keep the, the taxes down to the lowest you possibly can. And that's what I'm going to be doing. We have to be effective and efficient with the existing system. Why is technology not introduced at a higher level at City Hall? These are healthy discussions that we need to have. We can be more effective. We can be more efficient. But we have to have the leadership that has those healthy discussions. When we look at the processes that exist right now, do we need all of these layers or can they be reduced? Can they be replaced with technology? Are they necessary? We've got hundreds of thousands of bylaws. If they're not being used, why do we have them? Let's streamline things down and really start having discussions on what the needs are for the citizens of Toronto. And we need to make the city safe and healthy so that we can invite people to come. And we know that immigration is our number one source of growth. We have to make sure that the playing field is level for them when they come in to create and help the economy. When John Tory was reelected for a third term in office, he did it in convincing fashion easily beating second-place finisher Gil Panalosa. However, there was a surprising third-place finisher. Chloe Brown finished in third place on a shoestring budget. Brown is trying once again to be mayor of Toronto, and here's her conversation with Alex Pearson. 
Give me your 30-second elevator pitch for those who might not know you. As a policy analyst, I have been sitting by just serving the government and letting public services decay, and I have to take responsibility for that. And this is what this campaign is about. It's about me sharing my knowledge, my tools, my resources with the community so that they can have equal standing to me as a policy analyst, to them as political officials, because the truth is we own everything. Mm. All of this is ours. We're just not entrusted to be stewards of these resources, and that needs to change. The role of the citizen in public society has to take on not just rights, but responsibilities. And this is where I hope to be the coach. I hope to help develop products with residents so that they understand that we're going into a new public service and they don't have to be left behind. They can be equal shareholders of the City of Toronto Corporation if we give them the tools and responsibility and the agency to do so. And that's really what my campaign's about. So I'll be doing workshops with people who are not familiar with policy and I'll be doing town halls to discuss policy issues. So I'll be taking a more accessible approach to make sure that everyone's included. And that's really what democracy is about. It's not just serving your donors, it's serving everyone who's involved in the city. So the three big ideas that you ran on was, you know, the inequalities, you want those to evolve. Um, whether it's, uh, you know, the modernization of taxation, mm -hmm. you talk about developmental of the re rental market, which you were just referring to, and, and it's about technology and using that. And so how mm -hmm. is it that you can, I mean, whether it's even procurement, mm -hmm. which no level of government has mastered at this point, uh, permit process. So are you talking about scaling back all, a lot of the uh, human um, elements of, of City Hall and, and readjusting it to let technology do the job? No, no. Uh, a lot of politicians have failed to help residents realize that technology is like a screwdriver in a toolkit. It's not a machine coming to eat you. And this is where, as a candidate, I'm trying to help people realize that we can have physical services, social infrastructure, and digital working together like a braided knot to keep us above the flood. And this is where I, I'm really working on the digital literacy aspect to show people that you have apps in your phone that are helping you every day. Why doesn't the city have an offer that's mobile, that's user-friendly, that's accessible? And these things can be possible if the city wasn't constantly under-investing in our toolkit. So I want people to realize that all of, all of the things that you enjoy have been possible because the government has been putting money into the private sector to make those things possible. What if they were doing that for the public service? What if they were actually upskilling us as residents to become future politicians and future analysts? So, yeah, I'm taking this three-prong approach of reminding people that we can have on-site services, we can have the digital apps in our phones to register and book and make that process simple, and we don't have to sacrifice the social relationships that we build with our social workers, recreation workers, youth outreach workers. All of that is important, and none of that can be sacrificed. Now, you would be on the side of, of defunding police or having less police or a different way to police. Um, you, you believe the budget's too big. You want to spend the money differently. Um, you know, we are in a time, and I don't need to explain it to you, where the headlines every day are of violence yeah. or addiction or, or homelessness. We have a lot of issues confronting us. We have a massive billion-dollar hole in, the, um, in our budget. What would you be doing to get safety in check in the city? Have you changed your approach, your thinking on this? I mean, what, what would you be doing to get the city kind of shape, uh, shaped up very quickly? So 
this defund the police statement is a political statement and we need to remove that from our vocabulary what we really need to talk about is the underfunding of paramedics healthcare workers, firefighters, and other emergency services, and how governments have separated them from the public safety equation. It's really important for us to understand that the police cannot shoulder the entire responsibility of public safety. We need to, we need to break that responsibility apart so that the police can do law enforcement mm -hmm. and then EMS, so emergency medical services, can do crisis management and they can do the social work that comes before violence happens. Because the truth is, people use drugs in their homes. They use them in the nightlife. The only reason it's becoming a real problem for us is because we are now seeing it everywhere because there's no social workers to hide visible homelessness. So it really comes to us as a as a citizenry to take responsibility for the fact that we've allowed these politicians to underfund critical services and get out of the narrative of police or nothing or EMS or nothing. It has to be a blended solution. So on Tuesday, I'm actually marching with students from Islington to Kiel because they're trying to raise awareness about public safety on the TTC. And this is because like they're suffering just like the people that are homeless they're afraid and instead of government giving us the tools to bridge the gaps in our understanding between mental health substance abuse disorder and just like domestic violence in our homes they're outsourcing all that to the police and the problem is you can't have all the police on the subway because they're still above right. ground well, we don't crime. have enough of them right and so what would be your priority like you you get the job ground uh, you know hit the ground running what is priority number one mm -hmm. and I'll throw in the other side of this because we need to get that billion dollar hole um, you know f short up would you raise taxes so job number one mm -hmm. priority and and would you raise taxes priority number one is to get rid of John Tory's bureaucracies that he's created to say that he was building housing or he was building transit that in itself would shrink the amount of excessive executive payment that we're putting out right now mm -hmm. taking that money and investing it back into workers like construction workers uh healthcare workers yeah, even setting up setting up sorry setting up agricultural co-ops so that we could grow our own food and not rely solely on loblaws mm -hmm. is an initiative that i have it's really about restoring the public realm into the control of residents so that they're taking abandoned lands, abandoned storefronts, and they're building businesses. It's about getting more resources to the people so that they can create the revenue and stop going to the other levels of government as a beggar because there's money out there. The city just needs to change its position from being a beggar to a co-innovator. And I've been waiting for the federal budget, the provincial budget, and there's money that the, the city can apply directly for politicians just don't have the will to do it so I'm bringing my grant writing skills I'm bringing my audit skills and I'm also just figuring out a way to cut back on John Tory's legacy because it's costing us so much money to preserve his ghost do you have more money and support in this campaign or are you gonna do it like you did last time and just to sharpen it I mean honestly $2,000 yeah. when John Tory's spending 2.6 million are you taking a different approach this time yeah I got a team I've got the funds as as a working class person, it's always just strange to accept money from strangers without something being wanted. So it's like I'm changing my attitude towards that. And I'm bringing on a team of like 20. I have kids all over the city that are concerned about their future and they want to fight for the city. So I'm giving them the opportunity to be team leads, to be volunteers, 
and I'm really preparing them so that if anything happens to me, they can take my place. So yes, the work is happening and we're looking at it from not only a campaign angle, but a civic education opportunity. CB4TO.com is where you can go to learn more about Chloe Brown. From an unknown face around City Hall to a name many are familiar with, longtime City Councilor Josh Matlow is taking his first run at the Mayor's office. Here's Matlow's conversation with Alex. Good to see you. Is that you. your slogan, undoing what John Tory <laughs> No, did? no. You know, I, I certainly believe that, you know, good work uh, should continue to, to be done. But I, I obviously, and I don't, as you said, it's no surprise to most people that I had uh, some significant differences about the, you know, the vision and the direction of this city for many years. And, you know, the reality is, is that, um, you know, I'm determined that this city needs to be one that is safe, that's affordable, that's livable. Mm -hmm. But we can't do that if we can't uh, repair uh, the decline that we've seen in our services, whether it be snow clearing, whether it be you know, just keeping park bathrooms fixed and, and, and social services for people who are struggling on our streets and in our parks. Um, we've seen this decline. You know, I'm here with my daughter, mm -hmm. Molly, Molly, and I can tell you as a parent, it is like the Olympic Games to try to even get her into a, to a rec program. You know, when you have to keep clicking to, to get her in. So we can do better, and I believe that a better Toronto is possible, but I've seen far too often candidates come forward with these pie-in-the-sky ideas about how they're going to get it all done, and they never tell you up front how they're going to pay for it. Um, you know, I can't get into the, into the mind, for example, of Doug Ford about whether or not he's going to uh, reconsider uh, his rejection of uploading the gardener and the DVP, uh, or the bailout that, uh, that Mayor Tory, you know, believed he would get that never materialized. We need to get our own house in order. Uh, so uh, I... I'd rather, you know, take a wager and have trust and confidence in Torontonians in just being up front. So I believe if we, you know, bring in uh, some revenue to pay for these services, that's how we fix our, our problems. And what I'm proposing is over the next five years, we bring in roughly $390 million that, you know, for, for anyone who's a homeowner in the city, that really equates to the price of a sandwich a month, yeah, $5 and 55 cents. Yeah. Bucks. So, I mean, you know, for most people, um, it, you know, I, I understand that if you just say tax people, you know, what, what are you, what are you talking about? But if it really is a dedicated fund, a city works fund to invest in the services that you know are declining. I think most people believe that is worth it because this city isn't what it used to be. No. Uh, it's not as safe. It's not as affordable. It's not as livable as I remember it being when I was a kid. And I want to make sure that my kid gets the benefits of the work that we can do now. The problem is there's only one taxpayer. And Absolutely. We keep getting hit with fees, carbon yeah. taxes, tolls, you name it. It's got a cute name. It comes out of one pocket. And so... You know, if a Josh Matlow comes in saying, hey, it's only 67 bucks more a year, and then we're going to get another fee from somewhere else. The problem is, where does it start? So where it should start, frankly, is a new deal with the province and the federal government yeah. so that those existing tax dollars actually go where they're meant to go. Mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, we are the only city that I know of uh, that has a major transit system that isn't funded uh, you know, adequately by levels of government. Um, you know, most transit systems in the world don't rely on 75% of their revenue to come through the fare box. That's not fair. And we've seen cuts to services. We've seen del delays and we've seen the fares go up under the last administration. I want to reverse that. I want to improve service. But we can't do it without the support of the other levels of government. What I'm you know, telling Torontonians is that we can't just wait 
for something to happen that we can't control. We can't just say we hope that the other levels of government bail us out and come to our rescue because that hasn't happened in the real world. So we need to begin improving our services. And certainly um, if the province and the federal government do support their purviews, whether it be social housing, transit, court services, you name it, then we wouldn't be having to do what we have to do to make uh, a balanced budget. Yeah, I mean, we've got a billion dollar hole. We can't run on hope. You got and, it. And that. Okay, but That's not got, real. No, it's not. But but the point is, people now are not yes. feeling safe. People yes. now are really struggling. Exactly. People now, a lot of people I talk to are saying, you know what, I don't want to live in the city anymore, so they're looking yes. to move. This is going to take a while to fix. And so, just on the budget, because I want to make sure I yeah, get yeah. some time in for crime, how long are you talking? Because you want to stop the um, Gardner bill. I mean, we spent hundreds of millions of dollars on that, but how long until you see a turnaround or service improvements, or all these things that you say are going to improve so, Toronto. Let, to, and to I say, assume that includes yeah. potholes, because so, that would be really uh, nice to fix. Our, road, our roads have potholes, yeah. cracks. So, you know, the point of the gardener is that I still want a contiguous connection between the DVP and the rest of the gardener, but that small section, mm -hmm. that eastern section, you know, beyond Jarvis, essentially Cherry to the Dawn, it is ridiculous to sink even hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars more into the more expensive option rather than the, you know, the street level option. And also just ignore the potential of bringing in half a billion dollars on the city lands that could go toward more housing. So in other words, we could better address the housing crisis, better address the financial crisis if we make the right choices. So, you know, what I, what I, what I see in front of us is this. Even if, you know, whoever wins, the victory party will be short because the very next day, the mayor of Toronto, and I certainly hope that Torontonians choose me, will have to deal with the fact that we have been left with a $1.5 billion shortfall in this budget, a $46 billion pressure over the next 10 years, and they also rated uh, the reserves. In other words, the yeah. cupboards are bare. Yeah. So that's why I'm just saying, let's get real. Let's have an honest conversation and not pretend that everything's going to be fine if we don't deal with our finances. I don't want to put everything on a credit card. I, I want to make sure that we have the money to pay for the things we need. You know, there's such a change from the last mayoral election a few months ago to where we are now, where we've had this spate of violence all over yeah, the place. It's, yeah. it's not the homicides of the gangs that we're hearing about right now. That may change in the summer, but we are hearing about violent crime all over the city. Yes. People don't feel safe. You are on that side that would spend less on policing, the defund, the one that uh, you know, the premier said, don't bring in the defund people. Have you evolved in that? What would you do? And, and people aren't looking for solutions in seven or eight months because yeah, yeah. God knows where we'll be. People want to be safe. Right now, today. Yeah. So uh, what I'm on the side of is not, I don't think it's good enough to make people feel safe I want people to be safe. And, um, you know, the, the police budget is over $1.1 billion. Um, I believe that we need to be focusing on what governments, successive governments have not done a good enough job of for many years, which is addressing the root causes so that we but prevent... You, but everyone had to see this coming. Like, when we set up safe injection, when we put all these policies in place, did, like, everything became a thing instead of Alex, a building. Alex, we... Bridge. Of course everyone should have seen this coming. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember over a decade ago, the Ontario government commissioned a report called The Roots of Youth Violence mm -hmm. by Alvin Curling and Roy McMurtry. There were substantive yes. uh, recommendations on how to not re just react to crime, but prevent it from happening in the first place. And you talk to anyone who's been a victim of crime or has lost somebody uh, tr through a tragedy, they will always tell you that they would have liked to see it 
be prevented than react simply afterward. And um, I want to start making real investments into proving what proven ways to prevent crime in the first place. Um, You're so, talking about root causes again. Yeah, absolutely. It's not, it's not a policing issue. It's, it's an everything issue, but so we there's need two a things. turnaround. So there's so, two things we need to do. We need to address the root causes, yeah. everything from poverty, lack of access to housing, mental health, right. racism. There's a number of different factors that go into the root causes. But we also need to make sure that we have the right people, for example, on the transit system who know what they're doing when it comes to identifying people with the potential of violence and de-escalating them. And if you actually speak to the uh, the average police officer, what they will tell you, they've yeah. told this to me. So this isn't about, you know, pro or anti-police. It's about efficacy. They will tell you they are not professionals. They're professionals in what they do, but they're not professionals in mental health. Right. Like they're not, they don't have as much training as mental health crisis workers to identify individuals with that potential and know how to de-escalate them as well. So I'd rather have the right people who, wor who work with transit control who can readily access those issues before they escalate and actually prevent crime from happening. So we have to focus on that immediately on the TTC, but I remind my colleagues all the time at council, we also can't forget that the crime and the violence that we're experiencing on the transit system or in our schools or elsewhere doesn't begin there. It's from our communities. VoteMatlow.com is where you can go to learn more about Josh's plans for our city. No stranger to politics, but someone new to City Hall is Mitzi Hunter. The longtime Liberal MPP is vying to be Toronto's next mayor. Here are Alex Pearson and Mitzi Hunter in conversation at Nathan Phillips Square. You look at the city the way it is now and the way it's not operating. This is not right now. I don't think we can call it a world-class city. What's the key priority for you when you kind of have to uh, start the job on day one? Well, I believe that Toronto must remain in that group of world-class cities. Toronto is our hope in this province and in this country. And, you know, we've got to make sure that we stop the decline. We, we get off the cliff mm -hmm. and, and, and we actually, um, we have a turning point. And uh, that's why I'm in this race. You know, I'm, I'm a kid from Scarborough. Mm -hmm. I'm used to being a champion for my community, and I want to do that for all of Toronto. And, and Scarboroughs, those in Scarborough feel a lot of times like they are on the outside looking in. I mean, it's a big city, but the downtown tends to get the attention. So you could very well be that voice. You do say that you kind of see, you know, Toronto turning into a lot of those American cities. We've seen a demise all over the map uh, of big cities that are all kind of, I don't want to use the word crumbling, but they're not in great shape. Do you see Toronto on that, on that cusp or are we already there? I see some of those, those phrase happening here. And, you know, it's little things too, like basic services, like, you know, the garbage. Mm -hmm. Are we, are we paying attention to how the city looks and feels? Um, it's, it's the services that residents rely on, you know, the snow removal mm -hmm. and, and for all parts of the city, right? I want to make sure that I represent all parts of the city and, and be that voice and be that champion to unify. You have talked about, um, your idea, I guess, for safety. I mean, I don't need to, to read you the headlines. It's every single day on the transit. These are only the stories that we have time to tell. But we have a problem on transit. It is now a shelter. It is now a place for people to do drugs. And it's also a place where violence is, is being uh, committed. And so I don't get the sense that you don't want any police. Are you looking for a rounded approach of support workers? How would you fix quickly 
yeah. to show that you get it and, and things are going to change. What would be your fix for what we're seeing right now? Because it will get better in the summer. People will go outside. But it doesn't answer and solve the root of the issue. Yeah. And I, you know, I care a lot about this issue. Um, I've been pushing to get to the root issues of violence and crime in our city, making it a public health issue, bringing those resources that are needed so so that we don't have that violence happening in the first place. I have, that's not overnight. Like, that it's takes not. Time. It's not overnight. For the immediate, mm-hmm. for the transit system, I have a multi-pronged plan. It starts with pairing our transit officers with social workers so that, as you said, it's, it's not a shelter system down there in, in our subway system or on our buses. So we need people to be connected with services in the community when they need them. And but a so, lot of that falls to provincial jurisdiction, as you know. I mean, for whatever reason, we and it was bring under your in. government, under successive governments, where we got rid of all the psychiatric wards. We don't. We only have twenty five hundred beds for a province of fifteen million. Tell me about it. So I'm the former CAO of the Toronto Community Housing Corporation. Mm-hmm. I know very well what it meant when we closed those resources and put people into the community without service. I, I, I think it's okay to have people in the community, but you have to have the services that they need right where they need them. And not everybody can. I mean, that's just yes. the reality. Not everybody can be. So would you go to the province and push for them to open more of these spaces? What would you do with the safe injection? I mean, it's not supposed to be a permanent thing, and it's become a permanent thing where we see it in Vancouver, Toronto, where... It's there. It's driving people away from places that are supposed to be tourist spots. What would you do to start addressing them? Yeah. And, you know, when we see visible homelessness or uh, people on the street that are in distress, you know, they need that help and support. And, and we have to demand that. We have to make sure, you know, one of the things that I observed when I was at Toronto Housing is that oftentimes it's our our community safety officers that are responding to mental health uh, calls. Mm. And they, they don't have the training and the expertise. So let's pair those resources up and get people to the support that they need. You know, we can't be a city that is not accommodating to our tourism sector and our economy. We actually need both because we, we need jobs, mm. right? We need a city that's thriving. We need to be pushing Toronto towards that world-class city status, and we cannot give up. Toronto needs a champion. Alex, that's why I'm in this race, so that this city has a champion that will focus on the things that are important to our city and make sure that we are on that upward trajectory. You say you won't use the strong mayoral powers. Why won't you use them? And, you know, we have a premier pushing for expedited housing. We all know that we need affordable housing. We are years behind. How are you going to get things done quickly without them? Yeah, well, I mean, we've got our council We've got to bring our council together, focused on a plan. There is no part of our city that doesn't have an affordability issue mm-hmm. for their residents, for their, their, their ward residents. And so let's build consensus amongst our councils. But is that also, possible? But also, I want to say, what about, you know, the 30,000 people who work for the city and in those departments that are tasked with moving forward with some of those plans that the city has prioritized. Let's focus on those resources because that's where we can get, you know, expedited uh, development projects that meet and satisfy that affordability need in our city. And given your experience with THC, which I'm going to say it's been a problem. 
there are some problems. It's very How challenging. How are you overhauling that? Because yeah. it's, it's not not been a problem for many decades now. Yeah, it's very, very challenging. Um, it's an under-resourced uh, part of our housing system. Um, at the same time, it's vital housing. We don't want to lose one unit of housing when we have a, mm. an affordability crisis in our city right now. And people are waiting on wait lists for supportive housing. And so, uh, you know, these are some of the aspects, and I bring that experience, both working within the, the housing corporation, but also working at the provincial level as well. You know, what can we do to bring greater focus, greater, greater investment from the federal and the provincial levels of government into the housing file? Because this city yeah. has an affordability crisis, and it's it's not just for supportive housing like we see in TCHC. It's actually a young person that wants to work here and needs to find a place to live. It's that 40-year-old that needs to actually go and get a roommate to be able to afford a place in this city. So we've got to make sure that Toronto continues to be a place that people can grow up and see themselves living and working in to retain that top talent that we need to be a global world-class city. To learn more about Mitzi's platform, visit mitzihunter.ca. The next candidate to drop by our mobile studio has been around City Hall since 2000, but recently he failed to win his council seat. Giorgio Mammoliti has run for mayor in the past, and he's back at it again. Here are Giorgio Mammoliti and Alex Pearson in conversation. Why do you want to do this so badly? It's in my blood, and uh, I want a safe uh, city, and... Uh, I wish that I would have been uh, and, and made up uh, the councils over the last few years because I don't think uh, this, this would have been so drastic in the way of, of the city being unsafe. I would have been one of those voices during COVID that said, what are we doing spending all this money and uh, why are we allowing people to just do whatever they want in our subways and our, in our streets and, and put people at risk? No. So this didn't happen overnight. This, this stuff happened over a series of years where we allowed the city to just kind of become... It, this doesn't happen overnight. Well, let me, let, me, let, me, let me bring you back a second. It happened extensively mm -hmm. after John Tory right. uh, made his statement and got rid of what they then called carding, mm -hmm. right? It's a label. But what they did with that, and I, and I opposed it, what they did was that was take away the tools for the police department to be able to know where the troublemakers are in this city, the people that are causing the problems. But those are not, that's not the issue we're dealing with now. I know gang violence has been a big issue. Maybe it'll flare back up in the warmer temperatures, but right now we're dealing with an issue of a demise of society where you've got homeless people who have nowhere to go. They sleep on subways. We've got safe injection sites that are contributing to the problem. It's a Band-Aid solution that's become permanent. We've got issues of cost and affordability, um, mental health services that don't exist. And so how are you fixing the immediate right. can to I, turn it around? Can I get into that? Because I think it's all relevant. I think that uh, ignoring people uh, and not allowing the police department to be able to deal with issues, even those that suffer from mental illness, we have to deal with, uh, is the, the fact that we're ignoring it is a problem in, in, in Toronto. So, you know, if you go back to my history, you'll know that I wrote the uh, official report provincially in, in 1993 that talked about how to treat drug addiction. We've gone from 12-step programs that everybody really supported to 
uh, to let's watch somebody take drugs in front, in front of us and make sure they don't die. We've given up on our drug addicts, right? So I'm not a fan of what's going on. And I was very public uh, on that before I left uh, political office. And I think we should go back to, to helping people that are ill. And then at the end of the so day... So would you get rid of that? Because the city of Toronto Health right now are looking at decriminalizing heroin and fentanyl. I mean, they want to follow the route of Vancouver. So, you know what so would you stop that? You know what happens? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 and not many people know this, but when you adopt a com- when a community adopts that particular policy and brings that into a community, the federal government passed a law that said that police aren't to make any arrests. And nobody knows that. These communities don't know that when they say, well, we're here to, to help the, the drug addicts and, and make sure they don't die in front of us. But they're not telling them that the, that the cops have been told to lay off when the dealers are out there selling the drugs on the, on the sidewalks. So we have to get rid of that program. We have to get rid of it for a lot of reasons. We need to make the city safer. But what and, would you put we, in place of it? Because people will say you cut that supply off. Then they're just having, I mean, it's poisonous drugs. I mean, well, they are poison. But would you be putting in... Uh, substance abuse uh, treatment centers because yes. those are expensive. They don't come in overnight. Yeah, so you I, I think we have to do a lot of work around awareness and, and actually kind of talk to our, our, our hospitals as well and kind of educate them around the healthcare component that exists here. So 12-step programs for me are really important. And I think that there, there's value to us spending money that way. So, you know, and then there's the whole TTC uh, issue that seems to be going on and has been for a while. Uh, those employees that work for the TTC have been telling us forever that this is happening. And, that w- and, and all we did was ignore it. And when I say we, I mean the suits. The mm-hmm. suits at, at City Hall and the suits uh, in the TTC have really disappointed the taxpayer and the riders and the staff. They made everybody feel uncomfortable and not welcomed onto, onto the TTC. So you're giving them a seat at the table? I'm giving them a seat at the table for the first time ever. Uh, you'll have a mayor that wants to hear from the union on the board, uh, the commi- and they'll be called a commissioner. And uh, they'll hear firsthand even the frustrations around around funding, right? Funding is a big issue for them. Uh, I want to bring back a level of funding after after we do a complete audit of the city. I'm not asking for new money here, eh? Mm. I'm, I'm, I want to do what we did in 2010 and go line by line, item by item, and 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 find the money. The, and reprioritize what we want in this city and then fund those programs like the TTC and like affordable housing, of which I wrote the, the, the policy on. It's there. Yeah, it's there. And we we can, just never get it built. Well, I mean, here there. we are in 2023 and we're, we're, we're decades behind in building well, at every level. And, you know, I think people are just want, they want stuff done. I mean, we pay the money. They want the decisions made, but they don't want the reports collecting dust on, on the shelves. What would you do about the billion plus five billion and a half dollar shortfall. I mean, the province and the, and, uh, the feds have said they're not going to chip in. How are you getting a new funding form- formula for the city of Toronto? Or I don't think you're going to raise taxes, but uh, maybe I'm wrong. Line by line uh, um, audit. Talk to the department heads about uh, an increase, uh, uh, sorry, a decrease uh, in funding uh, immediately, probably to the tune of about 5%. And that'll make up the difference in, in uh, the, the money that there's a shortfall with. And then once we've done that, then we can determine where our priorities are going to be. So and what's your number one priority right now? Safety, uh, TTC, right now, today, as, as we speak, making sure that people feel comfortable on the streets and not have to worry about getting stabbed or, or shot. 
and, and giving the resources back to the police department to make sure that we're comfortable with it. And with that, I might add, is mental health, uh, mental health components that will help everyone understand what a particular issue might mean. We have to do this. So that's, that's, that's for me is a priority. You did mention carding. Um, would you bring that back given how controversial it is? Yes. Uh, the same you, way? We're going to label it. People are going to label this and say we bring them back carding. I, I don't care what your label might be here. I want to bring the tools back for the police department to do their job. And that's what we've taken away from them. And now we're surprised that there was somebody, you know, stabbed and killed at, at, at Keel Street Station the other day. And the person who killed him was known to the police. So, well, we have a bail reform issue, but then we've got the mental health issue. And they're not the same. I mean, they, they, they get the headlines. But, you know, the gang violence is a completely different issue. Um, but the police know who's hanging around. Here's the thing. In the subways, we have a mishmash of a lot of things going on. Uh, the subway is supposed to be a mechanism to bring somebody safer to work or safer, safer home, right? They're supposed to be traveling around the city in a safe manner. They've become housing for, for homeless. They've become housing for those with mental illness. The police department, uh, should have the capability of, of making sure that they know who's in in the system and who isn't. So a part of my platform that I announced today as well is to make sure that we have our own, for the first time, our own police division working out of TTC and couple it with uh, a health care work, healthcare workers, mm -hmm. plural. Uh, and we're going to have our own TT, uh, transit TTC police, just like New York and Vancouver have. And I'm not, I'm not sure why we never thought about this to begin with. And if we do that right away, you immediately make things safer, safer for, for the, the riders and the staff. And we've got staff that are underutilized in TTC, right? And we feel alone. Some of us feel alone when we're riding, uh, going well, into the subways. Staff there, right. So, so let's redeploy. That's what the union wants. Why don't we give them that? You know what they're doing right now? They're hiring a ton of supervisors and they're getting rid of the, the grassroots employees. No, wrong. Right. It's time that we, we, you know, and you know me, I'm, you know, I'm kind of hard on a lot of things when I have to be and soft on, on some things. But in this, you do have a way with words. I'll tell you that. Well, you're <laughs> listening, right? At the end of the day, that's what that's what our families are talking about at our dinner tables. Right. That's who I represent right now. The family. It's family before politics with this campaign. And everything is going to be kicked by the family before we decide to do it. COVID stopped. COVID stopped communication with people. We have bike lanes out of our yin-yang in mm -hmm. this city. People can't get to work anymore. Why? Because government felt it was in their best interest to keep it a secret and build all these bike lanes that are clogging up our, our, our roads. And I'd rather take the money for, for bike lanes, quite frankly, and build some affordable housing with it. Well, it would be nice to get it at some point in my life before I pass away. But, uh, Giorgio, I'll wish you the best of luck. Thank, Thank you so you much so for much. stopping by. And uh, we will be watching your campaign very carefully. Families before politics. Families before politics. Giorgio Mammoliti has got the name recognition. Does he have the ideas to win you over? We will see. Certainly he will get to lots of attention because he will say what a lot of people think. And let's keep family values there and traditional go. family values at the top of our mind as well because my campaign is going to talk about that there was a brief handshake between giorgio and alex's next guest brad bradford is seen by many as john tory jr 
So what is Brad's vision for Toronto? Here's Brad and Alex in conversation. When you say less talk, more action, that's music to my ears, but I, I hear a lot of talk from politicians. What is number one key priority for you that you will get done? Well, we, we need to take dramatic steps to improve community safety here in the city. We need to make sure that we are building more housing and improving affordability for Torontonians, and we need to get people moving. Um, my journey over the past number of weeks, I've heard from thousands of Torontonians, and they tell me the city has never been less affordable, mm -hmm. it has never been less safe, and it's never been harder to get around. So less talk, more action is about delivering on the things that matter to Torontonians most, uh, what I've seen in the council chamber over the past four years is a whole lot of debate, deliberation, delay, and not enough action. I will be a strong mayor of action for the residents of Toronto. It sounds good. I mean, every person that's come in has kind of isolated the key issue. And I think right now, because we get all the headlines, it is certainly crime. Not necessarily gang crime. That might heat up again in the summer. But right now, it's this random violence. It's the mental health. That That is what people are worried about. How do you turn that around in you know, given that we're not going to have a mayor until June, and then I suspect it's going to take a couple of months to get in there, we're talking seven or eight months where we could not see any real action. How are you turning this around fast? Well, let's take a look at the TTC for starters. You know, last week I, I made a public call that the $15 million of emergency safety fund on the TTC, only 10% of that had been spent. Uh, we need to increase security presence on the TTC. There's no doubt about that. And it's a but what does that look to? Is so, that more police? Is that it, more? It's, it's a combination of things. It is more police, it's more special constables, it's also the supports that we can put in place with respect to mental health and nursing and you know folks who are using substances, having those supports there uh, so that we can help people when they need it and where they need it. I think the important thing to acknowledge though is I've, I've heard from thousands of people, they don't feel safe on the TTC. I take the TTC on a regular basis, you go to Young and Bloor, uh, you go down to the station platform and everybody's backs are jammed against the wall. Their backs are up against the wall and that's because there's not a zero percent chance that you could end up on the tracks and there's not a zero percent chance that you could have a, a violent or physical altercation and so if we want to bring ridership back to the TTC if we want to get the city moving if we want people to feel safe uh, we do need to have a security presence in our stations on our system and we also need to make sure that the supports are available for for folks who are struggling uh, whether they're experiencing homelessness or having a mental health crisis or abusing substances we need to make sure that those resources are available so we can address it right away. I feel like we should have known this because this didn't happen overnight. It was, certainly we saw it build and then we went through lockdowns and the pandemic. There had to have been some thought on council like what do we do after the fact and it just doesn't seem like those conversations were had and so now all of a sudden everyone's kind of panicking. So how do you get all things done like that rely so much on the province? We don't have enough mental health beds. You have to go to the province for a lot of this stuff and it's going to have to be done fast and it may not be popular. Not everyone wants psych wards opened up across the province but clearly we need them because 2,500 beds does not serve a population of 15 million. We could just use that for Toronto, but we don't have it. Well, I'm going to be a, a strong mayor of action. I'm going to be very clear on what the priorities. I'm also going to be very clear on what the city of Toronto is best positioned to deliver and what is going to require from supports from other levels of government. So so mental health, parole officers, uh, health in general, those are things that the province needs to step up and come to the table on. And they have to give them some credit. We've seen some of that. but Well, they didn't with the Roxham Road crossings. I mean, they, that was an enormous fee, a amount of money that we had to burden. Our homeless people got pushed aside because the federal government didn't bother to pony up the money. And so, you know, John Tory always told us he's got those relationships to get that stuff done, and then it never got done. And I think 
folks are frustrated about that. And and it's time for a new chapter in Toronto. Toronto is at a breaking point. And I remind folks all the time, 20% of the GDP of this country runs through this city. And I know folks, you know, growing up in Hamilton myself, uh, it's, it's pretty popular to hate on Toronto. Uh, but the way the success of this city is so important for the success of this province and this country. And when we look at all of the big files, whether that's, you know, public safety or mental health or housing or transit or infrastructure, there is a significant role for other levels of government to come to the table in partnership to help us deliver on that. Uh, we're at a breaking point mm-hmm. in this city when it comes to affordability, when it comes to safety, and when it comes to getting people around. And we are going to have to work together. I'm not afraid to go toe-to-toe with the province and the federal government on these things, but we start from a place of collaboration. Toronto's success is is imperative for the success of the province and the country, and uh, we need to make sure everybody understands that. One of the things that has been a focus for you is that at first it was like you, you were part of the defund police. I don't even know if I want to say fully in, but you, you were on that side, and then since then you flipped over. Is that a fair critique, or is it an evolution in how you think? Where are you on this? Because I think people are interested, but where are you specifically? Because you've got the premier saying, look, don't vote for anyone who's a defunder. Yeah, I mean, if if you go back on council's record, I think uh, that administration was actually the only administration that ever has cut the police budget. Uh, you know, when when the premier was on council, um, but there's a there's a huge challenge, right? Like you go back to 2003, we had an NDP mayor, Mayor Miller, uh, and we had 700 more frontline officers in 2003 than we have today. Mm-hmm. And yet the city has uh, has grown 20 years and we've added a million people and we're still down 700 frontline officers. So you so, hire those back? Absolutely. Well, we need to actually do more, more hiring. And in the budget this year, uh, we j- I just voted for and supported a $48 million increase in the police budget, which effectively bought us 200 more frontline officers. It provided more resources for our 911 call centers. Uh, it's going to help us move forward on actually hitting our priority response times but the message is that's that's a one-year investment, mm-hmm. and it's going to take multiple years of investment to close the gap. Uh, over the past number of years, uh, the police budget has increased at a modest 1.7%, and what that means is we are actually uh, losing officers to retirements. They're not being mm-hmm. replaced. And I think it's, you know, again, Toronto is at a breaking point. The thing I would add is the way we do policing needs to evolve and change too. And if you go back to that vote, you know, just to put it on the table from, uh, from a number of years ago, it was really a message that reform is needed. I've been a huge supporter of our neighborhood police officer program. I've stood one of those up. So would you be open to have it? Like, look, we need them in schools. We, there are very unpopular programs with certain activist members, whether it's carding. Would you bring any of that? Tavis, would you be pushing to bring any of that stuff back? I, I think we need a model that is different than what we have today. And I'm very open to having those conversations. I'm open to to having those conversations with community. I'm also open to having those conversations with the folks who uh, who do this type of work and, and looking to partners like CAMH and others about how they could be a part of that solution. Because, you know, anyone that sits on this, this radio show and tries to prevent present overly simplified solutions to complicated problems is full of it. You're not going to get that from me. I'm going to be very honest with Torontonians. It will require additional investment. It will require additional investment in policing, but also in those wraparound supports so that when somebody is high on crystal meth uh, and they're having a violent episode, we can ensure that we have the right personnel on the ground to deal with that, both from a substance abuse and and from a safety standpoint. Would we need you keep both. the safe injection program open or would you be looking at 
get treatment. I mean, it's not working. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been over at Young and Dundas a lot, and I think you can walk around there, and, and while you don't have folks, uh, you know, using dirty needles and, and dying in the streets, I think it's, it's, we have to be honest with Torontonians, that's not a great scene at Young mm-hmm. and Dundas Square. Yeah. Uh, so, again, new models are going to be needed, and we have to be honest with people that what we're doing right now is not giving us the type of results that we want to see here in Toronto, and, you know, we're going to have that conversation in the election. You can find more by visiting votebradbradford.ca. And the last guest to come by our studio is someone you've heard frequently over the years on 640 Toronto, but he's brand new to politics. Here's Anthony Fury talking to Alex Pearson. Good to have you. Great to be here. Thanks for the opportunity, Alex. All Super right. exciting day for my family and I to come down here for City Hall. We're, we're really, really enthusiastic about getting out there and meeting everyone. And look, I just want to earn people's trust one vote at a time. That's what I'm going to be doing That's the next couple months. Saying. Yeah. Well, look, now I have to put on my uh, non-friend hat and say, <laughs> if you pull a talking point out, I will can that one. Um, but I do think it's interesting. So you know what the big issues are because you've been writing about them right. for well over a decade. You know what the issues are because you've always kind of pointed them out and then thought, well, why don't we do this? So what do you see? Obviously, you see the headlines every day. But where are you coming with as your big ideas to turn this city around? Well, the main thing, I'm coming at this as someone who for the past decade, as a newspaper columnist, broadcaster, showing up with you in the program, joining John every week, you get such a connection Mm -hmm. with the folks all across the city, every walk of life, and they tell you what's really happening. They tell you what's going on. They tell you their concerns. Their concerns, I don't believe, are being heard anymore, Alex. So I'm presenting a fresh voice, a fresh perspective. I think the status quo people who got us to this place where we have all these concerns right now, they are not the people to get us out of this situation. So I want to have a conversation about who really runs this city. Is it the lobbyists, the big corporations, those crazy activists who they don't represent anyone, but they just got to bring a dozen people to City Hall right here. City Hall caves right away to their demands. Or is City Hall supposed to be about the regular folks, uh, the hockey moms, the soccer dads, the, the, the people stuck on, on, on transit and traffic all day, and the small and medium businesses? Because, Alex, those are the voices I want to elevate right now because that's not what's going on at City Hall. That's not what all these recurring candidates are all about. That's what I'm about. Well, you know, because you've watched it and you've had to suffer through a city council meeting or two, is Unfortunately, yes. the gridlock. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's not supposed to be political sides, but it is political. You've got the left and then you've got the right. How are you going to cut through that noise? One of the ways John Tory did it, he was able to get stuff done because he was able to negotiate before votes. How would you get some of your ideas through? Yeah, great question. And you know what? Just this past week at city council, Alex, they are talking about all these tax increases. They are obsessed with coming up with as many quote unquote revenue tools as they can. Me, I'm the guy who says, whoa, time out. Hold on. It is totally disrespectful to even begin to talk about tax increases before you've taken a look at the books fully. I'm doing a 90-day review starting first day I'm in office. We're looking at all city services, all activities, whatever the city's getting up to. And if there's something that isn't laser focused on providing what is value to taxpayers, what people think their money should be going to, what they think actual city services are, then bye-bye. Because in the weeks ahead, I, I hope to have the opportunity to join you again to talk to you about some things we're unveiling where people will see it and they'll go, Fear, you're making this up. City Hall is not doing this. They're not spending our money on this. Oh, yes, they are. And let's have a conversation, folks, about whether or not we actually want to be doing these things. And we're going to find a lot of savings there. Well, before we begin to talk about 
the municipal sales tax, which they're actually talking about. It's in documents. It's yeah. bonkers. Well, look, there, there's you can call them anything you want, but there's only one taxpayer, and they are all taxes. Exactly. If you're asking, you know, forcing me to give my money, that's a tax. Having said that, looking at the landscape of the city, you've been here for a long time. There's no question there's a change, and it came on almost very suddenly, but it had been building for a long time where gang violence was always in the headlines, and now we've got the situation where we've got random escalation of major violence. How are you solving? I mean, the priority, you can say, you know, we'll be looking in the books and finding what, what we got to get rid of. But right now, people want to, living in the city just want to get to work where they don't have to worry about someone stabbing them or, or, or doing heroin in front of them or defecating in front of them. Like, they, they just want normal. I am the only major candidate who has not at some point thrown the force under the bus. A number of these people talking about defunding the cops. Everyone has thrown the force under the bus to some degree or other. Past few years, Alex, have I talked about police accountability? You better believe I have. Do we want to root out the bad apples? You better believe we do. And by the way, the regular cops, the regular force, they all want to see that too. They're the ones who are most frustrated when they see all these unfortunate things that shouldn't be happening. But you can't throw the force under the bus. Morale is terrible. And I'm going to be standing behind the police force. The other big differentiator I'm going to be, and there's a lot of people tell me, police tell me this, uh, street doctors, street nurses tell me this, that one of the things that's going on with a lot of these random attacks that we're not talking about enough is that this is related to the drug crisis. And many of these people doing these attacks have issues with drugs. What I want to do is talk about treatment, treatment, treatment. So you would essentially stop a safe injection? We need to have a conversation about the direction we go in because they're talking about more safe injection sites right now. They're I want to talk about decriminalizing heroin and meth going the route of, of Vancouver. And I want to talk about more treatment sites because a compassionate society doesn't keep people on drugs. It gets them off of drugs. And by looking out for our brothers and sisters on the street, we make our own street safer. And that's what I want to bring a laser focus to. No other candidates talking about that treatment treatment, treatment. That's going to help clean up the streets a lot. How would you fill that billion and plus uh, hole given the province and the feds? We can't hope that they'll pay for stuff. How would you get a better funding formula for this city? So this review that I'm talking about, it's not one of those reviews where you pay a consultant $2 million to find you $1.8 million nice. in little savings. Mm -hmm. No, the review that I'm talking about is we're going to have some conversations about entire activities the city's getting up to. And I say, guys, did you know the city's actually doing this? And you go, that can't be true, okay? If you think that, folks, the city's getting up to this, do we want to keep doing this? And we're going to be presenting some ideas in the weeks ahead about all of that. And before we even begin to talk about filling the gap with a tax increase or a new tax, like the other guys are pushing road tolls. Can you believe it, Alex? Road yeah. tolls. Gardner, DVP, Anthony Fury says, full stop, no, we're not doing that. Just quickly, people will say, uh, you know, you got to be able to hit the ground running. You're an outsider. You've never had to work in, in politics. How long is the learning curve going to be for you? Like, how long would it take you to start implementing this stuff? I will be job ready day one. I'm surrounded by really brilliant people. And as you know, one of the things in journalism that is such a privilege to do is you're dealing with an issue, some expert issue. And what do you do right away? You get on the phone with the top people in Toronto, the whole province, the whole country. And I've been doing that when I've been talking about drug treatment issues, the people who are advising me, the people on my advisory committee, other folks who are just offering their insights, top notch people. And I bring those voices together. And that's the skill set that I'm porting the ability to just go and, and, and reach those top voices. Because it's not about being the smartest guy in the room. It's about being able to identify the smartest guy in the room and listen to people. And sometimes the smartest guy in the room is the top expert at this or that university. Sometimes it's the guy uh, running the small business over in Scarborough or Etobicoke who knows what's really going on with this city issue. And you go to those voices, you listen, you respect them. And that's what I'm going to do. Elevate those voices. Anyone wants to be a part of it, get in touch with me, www.fury.ca. That's F-U-R-E-Y.ca. Listen, if you made it this far in the podcast, I'm proud of you. 
Democracy dies in darkness. Thanks for that, Washington Post. But seriously, it's true. We're so busy. But the decisions made by councillors at City Hall have a direct impact on the most important parts of our life. Think about it. Transit, roads, water, policing. That's why we're going to keep pressing everyone running to be your next mayor. Thanks for listening. I'm Jason Chapman, the executive producer of 640 Toronto. See you on the campaign trail.